the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. All righty. Pearl, Pearl Tisha. Countess Pearl Tisha von Fafsala. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome to tonight's webinar, How to Avoid Getting Spooked by the Criminally Insane High Cost of College. Pearl and Andy Lockwood, Lockwood College Prep. Welcome to the webinar. And welcome to you. Thank you. Pearl is um, knee-deep, uh, perhaps higher, in financial aid applications currently, FAFSAs, CSS profiles, uh, and she has noticed, just like every year, a bunch of um, mistakes that uh, mess some people up. So she and I have put together a list uh, that's been a little bit updated from last year's list. Came up with 21, actually, I think a bonus, maybe 22 mistakes, deadly mistakes that can sabotage your eligibility for financial aid. So that's what we're going to be covering tonight. Just want to make sure everyone can see and hear us, Okay. So uh, who's with us? So introduce yourselves in chat and tell us where you're from. Hi, Nancy. I see Nancy. I see Robert and Stuart from Syracuse. Very cool. And Judy from NYC. All right. So it sounds like. We got a crowd. We got Terry. We have Linda and Renata and Adam. Whoa. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Sherry, Amar, Tara. All right, so we got from all over. Good. From West here and far, California, Port okay. Washington. Hey, everybody. Brent, all Michelle, right. Terrific. Hey, I feel like Romper Room looking in my fake mirror and I'm saying everyone's name. Remember that? That was like a big deal to somebody. Do not watch Romper Room. Oh, it, that was a very local, I think, WORTV no, Channel was... 9 for those of you who remember when we only had about 10 channels. It was on in uh, Boston, but mm -hmm. I just didn't watch it. Or Magic Treehouse, which I thought was where the people said hi. Anyway. Maybe both. Okay. So um, We'll get back to you on that. Yeah, that's important information. So what I'm going to do now is um, we, have, we have some slides prepared. Magic Garden. Thanks, Dina. Magic Treehouse, Magic Garden. Okay. I need there's some magic. It's the Magic Garden. Okay. Not Robber Room. Paula and... All right, okay. so um, we're gonna uh, I'm gonna go through the slides. It's gonna take about um, 45, 50 minutes or so, give or take, and then uh, Pearl will be answering questions as as we go. But I, I won't be able to see because I'll be focusing on the slides, and then we will um, come on for questions um, after we we rip through the 22. That's the bonus, including the bonus mistake. 22 deadly mistakes that are going to help you okay, uh, avoid all around here. <clears throat> so give me. Hopefully you guys can see the screen. Just let me know in chat that I'm coming in visually and uh, auditorily, I guess. Um, Pearl is running the chat, so she'll um, give me the thumbs up or some other signal. So here we are. Um, I'm going to be covering 21 deadly financial aid mistakes that Pearl and I have compiled um, to help you avoid them so you don't miss out on money that you otherwise would uh, receive. And at the end, I'm going to briefly talk to you about um, how we can possibly help you. That's only at the end of this presentation. So Pearl and Andy Lockwood, we don't always look like this. Lockwood College Consulting slash Lockwood College Prep. Um, here we go. 
we're going to talk about different types of mistakes, mistakes of omission and you know, things you don't know about, that you don't do, mistakes of commission, things that you uh, do overtly, and all this is so you don't rob yourself, you don't sabotage yourself or screw yourself. Uh, I see a handful of familiar faces, but for those of you who are new to our community, don't know us, um, we are, um, you know, we're college advisors. We've been in the news frequently, written a bunch of books, which I have to update actually, the Wholesale for College book um, on college admissions, college financial aid, how to get into college and how to negotiate um, financial aid awards. So we've been in the field of college advising for more than 20 years at this point, And we have clients from all walks of life, uh, superintendents, self-employed people, Ivy League kids, um, community college kids, you name it, a lot of self-employed people, a lot of student athletes, uh, really all races, colors, creeds, shapes, and sizes. We don't have any one particular specialty, and we just try to do our best for, uh, for everyone. So a lot of people say, like, you know, weird um, job that you have. How'd you get into it? So in a way, uh, it kind of found me. That's, I guess that's, that's the best way to describe it. Um, when I was applying to college, I ended up going to Wesleyan University, which at the time was the fourth most expensive school. Um, my dad was a low-income uh, freelance photographer who um, had a disability, so he really couldn't work much. But his attitude was always, you know, don't worry about the money or the, or the loans. It'll, it'll all work out. But um, the reality was I racked up six figures of debt, and re that resulted in all kinds of credit issues and turndowns and um, stuff that, you know, lasted a really, really long time. So um, I am not a fan of don't worry, it, won't, it will uh, all work out. It doesn't. You can't, you can't wing it. So why do most families fail? Probably because the odds are stacked against you. This is the simplified view of the um, financial aid system, the easier of the two major, most widely used financial aid applications, the FAFSA. And it's complicated. I mean, you, you have to be... Um, you know, uh, uh, real, a Rubik's cube solver <laughs> to, to be able to to be able to figure this stuff out. It's very it's very convoluted. So if you're if you feel like a little embarrassed or or something because you feel overwhelmed, um, you should not at all. That's the point of this slide. All right, so I'm going to give you some um, some tips here. Pearl and I compiled these, and um, some of them are going to be very easy to understand. Some of them are going to require a little bit more explanation. But I'm going to zip through these, and then we'll come back on for some some Q and A. So if you're just joining us. This is um, our, t our 21 deadly financial aid mistakes and how to avoid them. So a um, big mistake that people have is they don't know when things are due. They, they think that um, all the financial aid applications are due at one time or um, because you're applying early action or something for admission, then that, has, that, that means you also have the same deadline for, uh, for your financial aid applications. So th that's not correct. The, the short answer is that you have to look up each and every deadline for, for, your, for your colleges. And I'm talking specifically about priority financial aid deadlines. So if you're writing this down, if you're taking notes, that's a good writer-downer. You have to look up the priority financial aid deadline. Um, sometimes they're better than you think. University of North Carolina Chapel Hill has a deadline for admission early, October 15th, but their priority financial aid deadline is not until March 1st, for example. So these vary. You've got to look them up from school to school. 
don't be confused. But also, um, sometimes people think, well, how I'm not going to apply for financial aid until after uh, we hear back from these colleges. No, um, you have to apply for financial aid before you know whether your child got in or not to these colleges. So bottom line, look them all up. They vary. All right, mistake number two is another sort of um, mistake of omission, which is not understanding everything that needs to be filed. So each college has a requirement. If you're applying for financial aid, this is what you must submit to us. For some colleges, it's the FAFSA, Free Application for Federal Student Aid, FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A. Um, that's not some, it's all colleges. But in addition to the FAFSA, there is roughly three or 400 colleges that want you to complete another form called the CSS profile, which by the way is twice as long and 10 times as hard as the FAFSA. And um, that's just going to vary. So, so you can't just take it for granted that all colleges want only one form or t both forms. There might even be some additional forms, additional applications um, beyond what I'm describing here. You need to make sure that you, um, that you file them. Furthermore, um, after you file your financial aid applications, they may require you to make additional disclosures. They may want additional forms to be filed, particularly if you're self-employed. So you got to bring the ball over the, go the, uh, the goal line into the end zone here. you got to submit all required financial aid forms. Mistake number three. Now, there's a lot of areas where you can make mistakes, and little innocuous-seeming mistakes, but sometimes little mistakes can make huge differences, and I mean bad differences. So on the FAFSA, the main form, it's very easy to kind of get confused where you're at in the form, if you, especially if you start and stop it. So there's information to put down about the student, the college-bound applicant, and there's information for parents. It kind of bops back and forth in some places. If you mistakenly attribute money, for example, that's in your name to your child, then that's going to be really, really bad in terms of your eligibility. It's going to hurt your eligibility because money in your child's name penalizes you far more than if it were in your name. You're the parent. So if you mix things up by accident, it may seem like a silly clerical error to you, but uh, it may have really negative repercussions. So you've got to be very careful when you're doing these financial aid forms. There's a lot of places to make mistakes. Uh, this is one of the ones you don't want to make. <clears throat> um, if you ever have questions about what should be included or not, there's directions that pop up on the new FAFSA. This is the old paper, um, paper version of the instructions, but they give a lot of disclosures on here's what you should include, here's what you shouldn't include, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all there for you. You just may have to slog a little bit through the regulations. Mistake number four is, is related to that because there, in, in those directions, it'll tell you here's what you should put down, Here's how you should answer the question, how much is, um, what's the value of your investments? And the directions will go on to say, here's what sh should not be considered part of your investments. Those are in those directions. So if you mistakenly include, for example, your retirement accounts, which should not be included on the FAFSA, then what you're doing, again, is another act of self-sabotage. You're oversharing information that should not be shared. Um, you know how people on, on Facebook love to post their latest meals that they ate or those ubiquitous f photos of uh, toes on, by, by the beach? 
Okay, I find those annoying, that type of oversharing, personally, but I'm just crotchety. If you overshare on the FAFSA, it's not just annoying, you're going to lose money. So don't overshare. All right, mistake number five. This is a big one that gets overlooked a lot. For my, for my money, this is the um, most important overlooked mistake. What I mean by wrong colleges is that some colleges are generous and some colleges are not. Beyond that, some colleges are gener- will be generous to your child or to your family and some will not. So if you or any family who applies looks like they're in really good shape to receive a lot of money um, because they have a low EFC, which stands for Expected Family Contribution. That's a number that gets spat out by the the FAFSA. Once Once you file a FAFSA, you get your Expected Family Contribution, which is the amount that the government calculates that you can afford for college. Spoiler alert, no one really likes their EFC, but I digress. So if you have a low Expected Family Contribution, and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to be eligible for a lot, but you apply to a lot of schools that are stingy in general or are going to be stingy to your kid because he or she doesn't stack up so well compared to the kids they're competing with, then you're going to be in for a rude surprise. It's not necessarily about how you look on paper. It's about the college. So the colleges that tend to be the most generous are private colleges that charge a lot. They have high tuition and high cost of attendance, but they also discount the most. Whereas state universities, you know, if you're dialing in tonight from uh, New York or from other states, same comment, in or out of the state that you, uh, that you reside in, state universities in general are pretty stingy because they don't have money. They only have federal funds. So you could look great on paper, but if you're applying only to schools that don't have money, you're not going, you're not going to get a good award. Mistake number six. This is also a big one, but I would imagine, uh, or I, sh- I should say estimate, maybe 25 to 30% of people that I speak to could um, take advantage of some planning, specifically sheltering their financial aid, um, their, I'm sorry, their, their assets from the financial aid formulas. The two main shelters are insurance products with cash, cash value life insurance and annuities. Those are the most widely in use. I can say, you know, again, um, if you're in that two, uh, two, two out of two or three families out of ten that this could work for, those are the types of things you probably want to explore. You just have to be careful because a lot of people plunk down, apparently, plunk down money in insurance products or annuities without really understanding how they work and understanding whether they're actually going to benefit from uh, from doing this type of rearranging. But there's nothing illegal or unethical about doing this. But if you're being pressured by someone into um, purchasing one of those types of products, then I would um, really uh, I would chill out a little bit and, and examine it. But understand fees, understand how things get um, locked up, you know, how you can access your money, um, and understand also, again, that sheltering assets does not help everyone. But when it works, it works really, really well. So there are ways to shelter your assets from the financial aid formulas. Mistake number seven is really related to that. It's, it's failure to be strategic. You know, you're just kind of powering through the forms just, just to get them over with. But there might be some ways to improve your eligibility, such as the shelters I just mentioned too. Um, sometimes there's ways to lower income, especially if you're self-employed. And um, that's really important to do because income happens to be the most important factor far and away, far more than assets. 
Um, and there's a bunch of other you know, strategies, but those are two of the big ones, sheltering assets and lowering income um, that people can avail themselves of. But also, you know, depending on what schools you apply to, um, you'll, you'll have different results. So that's another strategic thing is figuring out what, what colleges are going to be the most generous. Uh, another strategic thing might be to get some, one of my favorite things to do is to get some offers from other colleges solely for the purpose of using those as leverage against the colleges that were on your A-list, so to speak. So th there's more to just th this than just filling out forms. Again, this is, <laughs> this is what it looks like. You've got to be strategic about tackling something like this. <clears throat> Mistake number eight, failure to apply, assuming that you're, uh, you assuming falsely that your income is too high. Um, but even if you're right, ignorance about why you, sh you should still apply. So let me break these two down. This is really a two-part mistake. I'm already giving more than I promised. Um, so a lot of people think they're, gonna, they're not going to qualify because, um, because of income. And sometimes they're right, but a lot of times they're wrong. The main reason that I find that people are wrong is because there is no magic number where you, can, uh, you won't qualify if you cross a ceiling of income. So don't assume that your income is too high um, off the bat because you might be wrong without, without doing a little bit of investigating. Um, because there's other factors. Currently, how many children in college you have at the same time uh, will dramatically improve your income. So people who may not have qualified because their income was too high for one child in college currently in 2021 might still uh, might qualify if they have two kids in college or more with the same number. Um, the second half of this, ignorance why you should still apply, we recommend to our clients that we do our that we do financial aid forms and applications for, that even if they make seven figures, they should still submit their applications, their, their FAFSA and their CSS profile. Why? Not to get need-based aid, but to demonstrate financial strength. And that demonstration of financial strength, worst case, will have a neutral effect, but uh, more likely it'll help your child's chances of getting in because colleges, and this is not politically correct, so um, if you're offended, I promise to refund you for this free, non-refundable webinar. Um, but colleges really would prefer, they need to, their business model uh, makes it necessary to attract families that can pay or families that can get their hands on the money to pay, i.e. borrowing. Um, the other reason to show financial strength is you're more likely to receive a merit scholarships for the same reasons. So again, not politically correct, um, not something that matters whether you like it or I like it. It's irrelevant. That's just the way it is. So um, it's really unusual for us to say don't apply for aid. Don't submit your forms. You should definitely apply. All right, mistake number nine is the belief that these financial aid applications are straightforward. I, I sort of covered this already, but if you go to a um, you know, presentation at a high school or something, you might get um, you might get the impression that you know, doing these applications is basically like you know, filling out a grocery list or something like that. And for some people, it is relatively straightforward, but I showed you that obnoxious chart before, and um, I, I can tell you also that you know, based on um, our direct experience attending financial aid nights for our own kids at our own high school and uh, indirect experience we've had listening to clients come back from their own high school financial aid nights and hearing some of the outright just wrong information that they get, such as, 
Oh, yes. Uh, we are going to look at your retirement accounts. That was, those are words spoken by a financial officer at Adelphi University, which takes the, which is a local school here in Long Island, which um, requires the FAFSA to be filled out. And the FAFSA says specifically, do not include your retirement accounts. You know, so um, could be straightforward. You know, if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you do your own tax returns or your own, you know, plumbing, uh, your own taxidermy. Any any taxidermists out there tonight? Just let me know in chat. Uh, let's see here. One, two, okay, none. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you know, it might be okay, but there are all kinds of landmines, and that's that's really what I'm trying to describe to you here. Um, they are not straightforward. They could be straightforward looking, but the reality is different. Mistake number 10 is, um, is, is related. Assuming that your guidance counselor can help you get more money. So um, I get criticized for, for bashing guidance counselors. I actually think I bend over backwards to not bash them. Um, and, and I'll say this about this specific point here in financial aid. They're not trained. There, there's no way that you should go to them for something they're not trained in. Now, they might dabble, but... Um, for, the, for the most part, financially, uh, I'm sorry, guidance counselors are overwhelmed. The numbers are ridiculous. The average ratio of student to counselor in New York is something like 400 to 1. That means 400 students for every one uh, guidance counselor. And nationally, it's a little bit higher. So those are the reasons why you shouldn't rely on your guidance counselor to help you with financial aid. Mistake number 11 is a little dicier because I have a lot of uh, accountants and CPAs and financial guys that I know who um, refer people to us because they want to stay in their own lane and they recognize that the financial aid rules are nuanced and um, kind of complicated. And they don't want to make a mistake for their own, you know, we have them as clients, but they don't want their clients to make mistakes either. So they uh, refer them to us because they don't know what they don't know. And the recognition of that is, is really the reason. Where I have a problem is where um, accountants will say things similar to um, what I mentioned the, about the Adelphi financial aid officer, where, where they'll give out the wrong information. Like, oh, you shouldn't bother applying because uh, you're not going to qualify. Or, well, I sent my kid to um, you know, SUNY Binghamton. Uh, that was good enough for me. Why, you know, why don't you just send your kid there? And, and nothing against Binghamton. I think it's a great school. My kids applied there. I have uh, two kids in the SUNY system right now. But um, it's not appropriate for everyone. So just just be very careful about who you rely on for help. They're not experts. And um, a lot of times, the financial advisors, there, there are a handful who call themselves college advisors. But um, a lot of times, the financial guys will uh, also have in their hip pockets the ulterior motive of offering their financial services, meaning selling stocks or, or um, mutual funds or insurance products or annuities or something that makes them a commission. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but if you say, hey, I'm a college advisor um, and I'm going to show you how to get more money for college, and oh, by the way, everyone who works with me should buy an annuity because that's uh, going to be exempt from the financial aid formulas. Number one, that's only partially true. And number two, um, a lot of times, seven out of ten times probably, that transaction will benefit only one person, the financial advisor who makes the commission. It's not going to necessarily result in more, uh, in more aid. So that's mistake number 11, being careful about um, relying on accountants, CPAs, and financial guys. 
Um, are you guys finding this okay and helpful? Is this what you were hoping for? Just let me know in chat. I'm going to take a quick glance after I take a sip of water here. I'm looking over at Pearl. Countess von Fafsula. All right. Looks like we're a go. <laughs> Got the thumbs up. All right. Mistake number 12. Uh, this, this is such a big mistake. And um, I think it's just human nature to, to get bogged down and stuff and just rush through it or put it off to the last minute, which uh, I'm guilty of doing for certain things too. Don't get me wrong. But um, for something this important, you know, you really shouldn't wait to the last minute. You need, if you're going to do your financial aid applications yourself, if you're not going to work with someone to do these, then you need to block out a full weekend and in some cases two weekends to really um, make sure you've gathered everything, you're answering all the questions, all the supplemental questions that may come up, um, and, and, and making sure that you're giving yourself enough time to learn all the loopholes and things like that. Don't just rush these forms in. That, you know, that, that's where sloppy mistakes happen. And even little, seemingly little, Innocent mistakes can really cost you literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. All right, this is a simple one, but it's so frequent. Mistake number 13 is transposing social security numbers. Um, a lot of times, Pearl, who files 250 plus financial aid applications a year, should be looking at a tax return provided by the client's accountants, and that social security number will be wrong compared to the information that goes down, uh, gets put down on the financial aid applications. So that could be transposing social security numbers, it could be wrong dates of birth, whatever. Again, little innocent sloppy things, but they can have major repercussions. So you gotta be very, very careful about this. And you know, if you, again, if you rush through this or you do it late at night, um, I make typos all the time and it's cause my, you know, my eyes, my eyes, it gets blurry or I'm just sort of, I know what should be down there. So I just kind of rush through it inadvertently. So don't make these mistakes. Um, this is the one I just mentioned. It's, it's it is, um, not surprising anymore, but when, when Pearl, I remember when she first, um, started doing these finish, now she's nodding right now. When she, when she first started doing these applications, um, it, it was very, very frequent, a very frequent occurrence for her to see that accountants put down the wrong dates of birth for kids or, or whoever's working for the accounts, the data entry people, the cheaper people. So um, you've got to you know, be very, very careful about all this stuff. All right, mistake number 15. This is another way to sabotage yourself is by giving the wrong information about your income. So um, a lot of times people look at their tax returns and they're looking at the financial aid applications, which they go to line seven and tell us what your adjusted gross income was. Well, um, sometimes the directions on the FAFSA don't coincide with the latest revision to the 1040, the tax return. So they could be using, so you could be looking, uh, they, they could be asking for information for your adjusted gross income, but if you look at the tax return you know, from the year 2020, it's no longer the same line it was in 2019. So, You've got to be uh, super vigilant, and you've got to have a little bit more than a, a superficial understanding of how to read a tax return. You've, you've got to uh, understand them a little more, a little bit more in depth. So, uh, and, and follow the directions very closely because it'll say, "Here's the income that should be included. Here's the income that should not be included." Um, by the way, as a side note, untaxed income, certain types of untaxed income, such as workers' comp, do penalize you this year, but supposedly next year they will not penalize you. 
So untaxed income is definitely a, um, a thing to focus on. And for the most part, it belongs on the FAFSA, but it's changing. So this, this presentation is it's October 2021, but that could be different um, next year's Halloween presentation with new costumes. Who knows? Um, okay, number 16. <clears throat> um, this is one that um, Pearl catches a lot because the directions on the FAFSA ask, to ask the, um, the applicant, the parents, to disclose the amount that they contributed to their retirement plan, so like their 401k, for example. Um, if you're looking at a W-2, you might see how much the employer contributed. Not the employee parent, but the employer. Don't mess that up because um, that could reduce the amount of money you get too. That's a big, big error and very common. Mistake number 17. This is related to the fact that the um, FAFSA changes um, and the 1040, the tax return changes frequently. Last two years in a row it changed. It might have been three years in a row. Um, there's a, there's a you know, question about how much did you pay in taxes last year, and sometimes people get that wrong because they're including income taxes, including you know, federal, state, property taxes, who knows what else. You've got to be, it's, it's very specific in the directions exactly what should be included in the answer to the question of what you paid in taxes last year. Mistake number 18. This is um, also one of these things where um, this year it's one way and next year it's supposedly going to be a different way. But on the FAFSA, the, uh, the requirement for the person to file is that the custodial parent file the FAFSA. So the definition of custodial and non-custodial is different than the way most people understand that currently. And what I mean is a custodial parent has nothing to do with which parent declares a child as a dependent this year in 2021. Um, what it does refer to is which parent the child resided with a majority of time in the previous 12 months. That is it. It doesn't matter who agreed to do what, who agreed to pay what. All that stuff goes out the window for this year and every year up until this year. The, the custodial parent is the person that the child lives with a majority of time, and that's who should be filling out the financial aid application. And I know there's going to be questions on this stuff, but I'm just trying to zip through this so we have more time for Q&A. Mistake um, number 19. This is such a big one, too. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying that all, every time, which, which is annoying. Um, after you file, like this, this is something Pearl says a lot, and I can see her nodding her head. Um, after you file, that's not when things end. That, that's often when things start. So what happens after you file is uh, you might get, you know, if you apply to 12 colleges, you might hear back from 9 or 10, hey, we need more information. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, it, it's just wrong. It's just a blast email from FAFSA or something. So you've got to, number one, keep, keep an eye out on your inbox and your child has to keep an eye on his inbox or her inbox um, t- to not overlook any f- further requests. Number two, some of these will be silly meaningless emails, but some will not be. It might be 35% substantive and 65% non-substantive, but you need to examine each one to figure out whether it's something you need to respond to or not. Um, a lot of emails are alarming. You, know, you might get something in January saying, hey, we see all that you, saw that you submitted your application for admission. Now it's time to file your FAFSA. And we, we get a lot of panicked emails from clients of ours who will say things like, wait, I thought this was filed a couple months ago, and then Pearl says, no, remember, you got the filing receipt. Here it is again. It's from, you know, November 5th. 
So um, keep good records also, but make sure you keep an eye on the, the follow-up requests that happen after you file. All right, this is a big one too. Um, mistake number 20 is, you know, if you are um, applying to a college that requires the FAFSA and another form, usually the CSS profile, you know, the FAFSA is about 100 questions currently, and the profile is anywhere from 200 to 300 questions. It really depends on the colleges that you're applying to. So, um, so there's a lot of room for error on there. And if you indicate one thing on the FAFSA, but then when you fill out the CSS profile, which is much more detailed, and you're basically giving the same information but broken down much more um, in detail, and that doesn't add up to the number that uh, on the on the profile that's supposed to jibe with the FAFSA, that's a problem. They're going to catch that, and and you need to make sure that the forms are consistent with each other in general. Mistake <clears throat> twenty-one. This is another one that I won't say it's big because I told you I was annoying myself, but so common, get, getting hung up on like the little things, missing the forest through the trees. Um, Pro goes back and forth with clients when they're reviewing their FAFSA and their CSS profile after she drafts them before she files them on their behalf. And um, a lot of times um, they'll say, oh, uh, no, we don't have $53,500. We now have $52,899. Because we, you know, paid um, our gardener or something, and Pearl will say, "Okay, it's just a snapshot of when you file. It doesn't matter that you're six hundred dollars off. Uh, it's not going to change your eligibility. Let's just get it done." Or, um, well, I, I won't belabor the point. There, there's there's big stuff and there's little stuff. And if you get bogged down in the little stuff, you'll never get anything done. You'll suffer from analysis paralysis, and you'll you'll miss out. So don't don't uh, don't lose the forest to the trees. Just make sure you get everything in accurately and on time, and you don't cause undue stress to on, on yourself or anyone who's helping you if you're working with someone. And um, mistake number twenty-two out of the twenty-one deadly mistakes is starting too late in the process without a clue or a plan. It's that's kind of related to winging it. Um, a lot of people just do this because they've been putting it off, sticking their head in the sand, you know, that type of thing. But that um, usually does not pay off. So um, the sooner you jump in and get, uh, you know, get serious and roll up your sleeves about this, the better. And don't just wing it. You know, you've, you've got you've got to understand the strategies. Uh, you, you have a good overview of mo of the most common mistakes that Pearl and I see uh, handling 250, 300, 400 t sometimes financial aid applications per year. So um, sooner you start, the better. Um, we're going to come back on for Q&A right now. But in terms of next steps, you know, there's, there's really three options. Number one, you can um, do your financial aid stuff on your own. I hope this was helpful to you. It was just sort of a, a, a taste. Well, not a tease, but kind of. It was, it was, I think this was um, good information. I hope you agreed. The second option, of course, is uh, working with someone with years of experience and trust in your corner. And you can certainly reach, reach out to us. There's nothing to buy on this webinar. There's only a way to set up a call to see if you're a good fit for us. So that is open to you. Um, we'll just pop that. If we haven't already, I can't see. We'll just pop that um, button to book a call with us. and uh, Or you can just do nothing. Like a lot of people, for for whatever reason, I hear this, especially this time of year, they're like, yeah, you know, I was, uh, I've was i been on your webinars for a few years and I've been meaning to reach out to you and I just never did anything. Um, can you help me? And most of the time the answer is, uh, well, it's too late. I'm sorry. I, I could have if we talked a year ago. So you really have three options. 
Um, but if, if, you know, if uh, we never speak again and you're choosing option one, that is great. I hope you found this valuable. That's um, a lot of people who go to these presentations are like that. But if you want a little bit of help or you want to discuss whether you'd be, whether you'd be a good fit, not everyone is, then um, go ahead and uh, book your call now. Um, we do um, financial aid applications and advising on how to improve your eligibility. Um, Pearl and her assistant Christine does a lot of data inputting to make sure your forms are accurate and they're filed on time. You don't miss any deadline. We help you avoid mistakes that can sabotage your eligibility. And this is a big one. We do a lot of negotiating awards. Uh, by no means do I bat a thousand, but um, pretty good at it. One, one of the best, I believe, in the uh, country at it. And if you want uh, help you know, figuring out how to pay the rest, we help with loans, paperwork, etc. Um, the website, if you can't see it, um, if you can't click the button for some reason, is financialaidwarrior.com. That's where you can book a call to talk. Or you could just uh, schedule, um, shoot an email to us, vip at lockwoodcollegeprep.com. And if you have someone younger, we also do college advising, helping with uh, building a college list and helping you as early as ninth grade figure out extracurriculars and courses and what to do over the summer, etc. We do a lot of essay editing and, and reviewing the applications. We also tutor for the SCT and the ACT. You can email us uh, VIP. Well, actually, that'll get to us also, but VIP at LockwoodCollegePrep.com or VIP at AndyLockwood.com um, <clears throat> or call us or if you want the financial aid information, it's FinancialAidWarrior.com. Uh, I think... I told you all the stuff that we do, but our real business is helping avoid that, helping avoid the stress. <laughs> that's really what it's, what it's all about for us. So, okay, so um, that's it for the presentation, and now we're going to go through the questions. Me and the Countess Pearl von Fassela Lockwood. Hang on one sec. Let me get out of my slides. Avoid stress. That's really what it's, what it's all about. So, okay, so um, that's it for the presentation, and now we're going to go through the questions. Me and the Countess Pearl von Fassela Lockwood. Hang on one second, we'll get average slides. Okay, so I saw you nodding and clicking and clacking. So um, go ahead and let's go through some of these questions. Okay, first question is from Judy. <clears throat> In New York City, the parents of New York City public school students were given a one-time food stamps benefit during the pandemic. It was $924. How do we report that? It's not food stamps and we are not eligible for food assistance. Uh, well, I would say unless it's a specifically asked question, you don't really have a place to include it. You would omit it. If you don't qualify for food stamps, you would not select that on the FAFSA. I don't Is it um, <clears throat> possibly other untaxed income or something? Potentially. Yep. There should be another an other tax taxable or untaxed income tab as well on the FAFSA and the CSS profile. You can include it there. Again, that is not going to what? Eyes up. Oh, it is not. Go I'm just looking at the questions. It's not going to uh, change anything one way or the other. You know how Betty White does that? Eyes up. You know. Next, yeah. uh, Michelle. Specific question: the CSS profile section on household summary slash dependent education expenses. I have twins. We don't know where the sister will be accepted. We can only guess the cost of the school. Should it be higher or lower? And where would the total educational expenses paid 
or expected to be paid come from? Should that number be high or low? Okay, well, um, on these forms, when they ask for subjective information, like what are you, what do you think you will pay? Or what is this other sibling? What are your expenses as to this other sibling that are currently unknown going to be? I would estimate on the higher side so that you are not overexposing yourself to saying something lower, but then it ends up being higher. And then the school that you're giving this new information to is attributing with a, uh, a lower uh, figure for this sibling. So in that scenario, uh, uh, what you are looking up as to the school that you may be talking about, first of all, so when they're giving you a choice, should you guesstimate as to a private school or a public school, I would look up the cost of attendance of the private school, which is undoubtedly going to be more expensive than the state school. Uh, and the specific language that you are looking for is the cost of attendance, which is not just tuition. It's tuition, room and board and some other fees for one year of college. Okay, uh, next question. Stuart, I have two students in college. Should I log into the FAFSA as the parent and complete two student applications and not duplicate my parent info on both student applications? Uh, believe it or not, that used to be an opportunity where you could port one student's, I'm sorry, one, you can complete one student and then port the same parent's information into a sibling's FAFSA. And I am not seeing that opportunity this year. So then you which, would- Which, by the way, is, is an issue when it comes to discrepancies with FAFSA. Right. Potentially. It, right. We just got to make sure everything is the same to the extent that it's the same. Uh, anyway, so yes, you need to do two separate student applications. Uh, Tushari, who should file the CSS profile, student or the parent? Great question. The form is in fact posed to the student applicant to be answering it. However, as a practical matter, most 17, 18 year olds are not fully versed in their parents' income and asset substantive information, or for that matter, what those things even mean <laughs> at this point in their tender years. So uh, I would highly recommend that you, the parent, take the bull by the horns here and of course, uh, vigorously guide that that process yourself, uh, not the student. It's okay. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's the parent. You know, when when Pearl's doing forms for our clients, she's only interacting with parents. So yes, I would not. There's one percent where it's not the parent. And unfortunately, what can also happen is uh, there's a different agenda from a student and a parent. A parent would be forthcoming and has a probably a, a more intimate view of their own finances, the student can say, hey, things are great. We can afford anything. My parents will pay for anything and over-volunteer the parents' contribution. Well, that, which, that actually uh, uh, is one of the questions on the CSS profile right. is, you know, how much can your parents pay for one year of college? So there's, there's a lot of tricky questions on that. Exactly. Two, that. 200 to 300 questions. A lot of them are really tricky. That seems somewhat innocuous on their face. but That one does not seem innocuous to me. That one seems... <laughs> loaded <laughs> loaded question yeah. okay terry if income and assets are high will telling the school we do not want any aid increase one's chance of getting accepted Andy? Um, in most cases yes okay 
Amy, I was happy to get into uh, in okay into the get information in early, but may have messed up a bit of overreporting. How do you fix? Okay, well, uh, well, no, there's two different things. FAFSA yes, and CSS exactly. Profile. So uh, the FAFSA can be amended. You would have to go back into an already filed FAFSA, make the updates, and resubmit. And uh, you want to make sure if you have more than 10 schools that you're resubmitting this information to all schools that are on your list. And then as to the CSS profile, once you have filed the CSS profile, the only change you can make is by adding additional schools to receive that which you have already submitted. So the only other way that you can update the substantive information in the CSS profile is by printing out your already submitted and viewed CSS profile and then hand marking up the corrections and sending it off to all the schools that you want to be apprised of this change. That is barbaric. It is, and it's red flagomania. So caution before you go ahead and file the CSS. Warning, danger. Will Robinson. <clears throat> but and then you'll have to explain it to the financial aid office, hey, I made a mistake. Can you please, you know, consider my updated information? Right. Sometimes you just need to do it. Uh, okay, Sherry, if you are applying to numerous colleges with different deadlines, do you file the financial aid forms all at the same time based on the first deadline? Yes, that's what I do. You don't have to. But that's, no, that's, that's just a clean practice to ensure that you're meeting everyone's deadline. Just you look, you see what your earliest priority financial aid deadline, which is going to be governed by the status by which the student is applying to the school, meaning are they applying early decision, early action, or regular decision to a school that is going to determine when the priority financial aid deadline is for any school. Right, so I, okay. So the pro tip is get them all in like you suggested. That's what Pearl does. Yes. Uh, Christian, do... Do filing the FAFSA and the CSS profile for subsequent years have an effect on financial aid, specifically merit aid? Okay, well, it depends. And it depends on the type of award that is initially offered in the first year well, as to merit. Yeah, I mean, merit aid, generally, you get it every every year if you have a minimum GPA. Right. Without regard to your income or assets. Correct. Whereas financial aid is going to be reevaluated each year. Based, based. Right. Um, <clears throat> Sherry, does untaxed income include all the COVID checks from the federal government? No. Uh, they are handled in part uh, on an unemployment compensation line in your tax return. And there's an offset to that which has been given. I think that was provided across the board. There are statutory statutory offsets to what one has received in um, COVID comp unemployment compensation. Um, already made, Amy, or Amy, already made mistakes 14 through 17 submitted last week. How to fix now? Well, as I just mentioned earlier, if they're FAFSA schools, you're going to have to log back in. Hopefully you know how you're going to update it. And um, and then, of course, I just told you, you're going to have to uh, print out. But make sure, really, what it is that you've made a mistake is, is um, meaningful. Oh, it's mistakes 14 through 17. Yeah, I don't know what those were. Uh, Judy, 
If parents are giving some support to a sibling in graduate school, can they include room and board as an expense if the sibling lives off campus? Sure, give it a try. If they want more information about that and choose to include it and 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 consider it, more power to you. And if not, not nothing ventured, nothing gained. But again, you mentioned this before: the concept of cost of attendance includes it does living. That's correct, yeah. including off-campus living expenses. And typically, they will uh, set those off-campus housing expenses at a rate that is similar to the one that they ascribe for on-campus room and board. Uh, John Lloyd. No, sorry. I'll get to you next. Going in order. Uh, <laughs> Teresa, do you need to submit bank records for that snapshot of your account? Uh, typically... And at the outset, no, but you could come under what is called an asset verification, in which case a, a particular school that you're applying to may for no reason except for randomly choosing to verify your assets can pick you, in which case and demand a um, bank record of the time that, that you filed the financial aid forms, or... Uh, there will be something in your actual financial aid applications that give rise to a question about the assets that you've reported. And in that case, they could ask you for statements to back it up. So um, possible, but possibly, it doesn't happen every time. No. Uh, and more often than not, it does not happen that way. John, what happens if the income number you provide is incorrect and the school has reviewed the FAFSA and accepted the student? Okay, so... On the FAFSA, in, in a perfect world and in, in the finest expression of how a school would like to see your submitted FAFSA information, uh, there's a mechanism within the FAFSA called the IRS DRT, which is an IRS data retrieval tool that enables one to, when they're in the FAFSA, to go into the IRS site and port the actually filed tax return information to the IRS from the IRS site into the Department of Education's FAFSA site on your behalf, so much so that when it actually is done successfully, the next thing the viewer is sees is transferred by the IRS, transferred by the IRS in lieu of actual numbers. And it is, but the, on the school side, they are able to see those numbers. And that is, um, that is the best form of your income. And to that end, they're not going to have any further inquiry. And I'm not really sure what kind of mistake. Well, not everyone uses the right. IRS so, DRT. And there are there are some instances, many instances, where the IRS DRT cannot be used. Um, for example, if your marital status is one way in the operative tax year, which for this year is the 2020 tax return. And yet, you know, we are talking about a time period currently that is nearly 2022, two years later, things may be different. So if that is the case, then you're not going to be able to use that IRS DRT and a school may want further um, verification of your income in, in a variety of ways. By, by so, the way, and there's other situations, I was talking to a prospective client today um, and um, the, the best way to describe it is she looks one way on paper, but the reality is, is far different. Mm -hmm. And she receives phantom, what I would call phantom income on paper 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she might be watching this, by the way. So um, I'm not giving away any detail, any any confidences. <laughs> um, but um, that income doesn't actually like flow into our bank account. And we have that with a lot, with a lot of self-employed people too, where where they have an income that looks high, but the reality is far less rosy when you look at the you know the economic benefit that's really coming to them. So so that's not necessarily an income mistake per se, but it is. Um, income that's misleading. So there's there's a lot of room for there discussion and appeal. And, and by and by the way, even even less simple as just an, an error, whether it was just an error or you could even have a situation where you file the FAFSA and then your situation changes a few months, weeks later, right. which really varies different varies greatly, sorry, from what was reported, that would also give rise to an appeal. You would appeal that which you have already we just, yeah, we just have a, a client who um, she's a medical professional and she uh, did not want to get vaxxed and mm-hmm. she was terminated. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. Re- very recently. Yeah. So stuff like that can happen. Doesn't exactly. have to be that dramatic. Exactly. But that's, right. that's a common thing right now. Yes, sure is. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, where am I up to? Um, Dashari, if you already have one child in college and save money for next year's tuition for that child, how can you shelter that? Um, well, so I covered that a little bit of that in the um, in the slides. So um, it, you know you, you have to look at the actual shelters that are in the uh, financial aid formulas. Namely, for most people, it's going to be insurance products or annuities, and then um, look at whether it even makes sense to be able to uh, benefit from doing something like that. And like I said earlier um, during the slides. 25, 35% of families that probably makes sense for just roughly, but definitely not everybody. Happy to talk to you about it if, you, if you're you know, interested in working with us. Okay. Uh, next question is from Renata. Question for the CSS. Not in contact with the father, yet his address is requested on the form. How do I go around it? Okay. Well, if you don't know the address, then you can put unknown if you don't know the address. And what's going to happen, I, I think really what you're getting at is, you know, what do you do when a school is continually asking you for a non-custodial parent's information when there is no contact? Uh, initially, you're going to just provide that which you have. If you have his name only, then, then you put his name only and everything else is unknown that's being asked. Ultimately, you may have, and that, that is the information that goes into the basic CSS profile form. Fine. After you submit a CSS profile form, many or some of the schools that you have submitted the financial aid forms to may also then require the non-custodial parent's financial information as well. Well, if you're not in contact with that non-custodial parent, what do you do when that happens? So in that scenario, there is something called, if if there's no contact and it would be um, just practically impossible to make this happen, Uh, there is something called a non-custodial parent waiver that you would download and complete. And much of whether the waiver is granted or not, uh, first of all, it lies entirely in the discretion of the financial aid office of the school that is getting that waiver. And a lot of what turns on the decision is the level of contact between the student and the non-custodial parent. If in answering the question on this form, 
how much contact is there between the students and the non-custodial parent, and you're trying to get a waiver, but you say weekly, um, that's probably not a waiver that's going to be accepted. It's going to be denied, and they're still going to hock you for the non-custodial parent's financial information, okay? Um, if, of course, you're saying something like, well, there's been no contact, they haven't seen each other since the kid is one, blah, 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 the parent's incarcerated, there's a restraining order. I mean, there's myriad of possibilities, but obviously with everything in between and the greater the evidence in your waiver that demonstrates a lack of participation, lack of contact, you know, this the deadbeat dad's been in arrears, child support for a quarter of a million dollars, the feds can't even track him down. We get it. You know, in that case, they're going to grant a waiver. Brian Laundry. You never know. Uh, hopefully not. Anywho, um, again, it's discretionary. And then ultimately, you can't get blood from a stone. I mean, if you have a non-custodial parent who's uncooperative, uncooperative. You know, some some colleges are better about this than others, and yeah. some are really not. I think BU is one of the sticklers yeah. that um, almost across the board refuses to um, to waive that. Right. But um, but but most colleges make provision for the deadbeat dad. Uh, okay, never deadbeat mom. So, uh, Dina, our family, I'm sorry, had a med medical emergency in 2020 that's ongoing, but not reported on the FAFSA since there wasn't a place to include it. How does this work? How can we explain? How do we report this? That's true. There is no place on the FAFSA to provide any explanation. Only a place on the CSS profile, but many schools, most schools, do not accept the CSS profile. Right. So you would need to submit your FAFSA as is based on whatever information is actually asked. And then once a financial aid package is issued, at that point, you would need to try to appeal the financial aid award based on this new information that the financial aid committee didn't have when putting your package together. Okay, Adam. What is the basic process for using a financial aid offer from one school to negotiate with another school to get a better offer? And then there's a part two. I'll read it just in case. If someone applies and is accepted early decision and the financial offer is not enough to make attendance possible, is there an effective way to appeal? Andy? Pearl? Oh. Um, so... The best appeals give new information to the college that they didn't already know. So Pearl just mentioned one example um, that, that was asked by the last questioner, letting them know about expenses they wouldn't otherwise know about. So in, in the category of information that they wouldn't have known about when you complete the financial aid applications would be offers from other colleges. I like to um, to show those actual offers to, to the college I'm trying to get more money out of. If you apply a decision, of course, you can't do that because you won't have any other offers and they're not going to consider them anyway. So I don't love early decision from a financial aid standpoint. Okay. Uh, Brent, we recently refinanced our mortgage and took cash out. Do we need to declare that money that currently resides in our bank account? If you are currently filing the financial aid forms and that money is currently in those bank accounts, yes. Your assets must be true as of the day you file. If... Before you file your financial aid forms, you buy something with that money and it's no longer there. Or shelter. Or shelter it. Otherwise, legally, ethically, then you would report what you needed to. So there are ways to um, not sabotage your financial aid 
Okay. Mark, for questions 86 and 87, income earned from work. FAFSA referenced income from W-2s. However, we also have income from a business that is an S-Corp. Does that income need to be reported as well? Where and how? Okay. So if it's a true S-Corp, then it flows, the income from which you derive personally from that S-Corp flows to Schedule 1, Line 5 of your 1040 of your income tax return. So uh, that is where it's shown. And in that scenario, that would be considered not your 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 income, you parent one or parent two, but rather other taxable income. That's where it would go. Uh, if on the other hand, the business was like a Schedule C business and the income flowed to line three of Schedule one, living in these weeds, <laughs> then that which flowed to your schedule one line three from self-employed income would be added to your parent one or parent two, depending on the parent who has that income uh, line item. That's a great hypothetical you answered in okay. addition to the actual question. Well, I'm just rounding out the discussion. I She's showing off a little bit, ladies and whatever. gentlemen. Come on. Countess Pearl. <laughs> okay. Uh, the CSS profile, Dina wants to know, is this created as the student signs up for the SATs or is this a separate profile we need to fill out? If so, where can, where can we ask, uh, access this application? The former. The CSS profile login is the same college board login that your student created when he or she or they um, or whatever uh, – Signed up nice for the SAT um, or, PSAT. or PSAT initially and got scores. So it is the exact same login, the College Board login. There's just a different part of the College Board site you would go to to complete the CSS profile. Right. So, so the profile, just to be clear, is a financial aid form that's 200 to 300 questions depending on where you're applying. That was not automatically created. Right. But the logins, once, once you sign up with the College Board for something, which, by the way, includes them selling your information all over the place. Right. Um, but that's that's the, that's how you would log in to fill out a CSS profile. Right. And I, I didn't see this question yet, but I often get it. So I'm, again, erring on the side of inclusion. How do you know if you have to fill out the CSS or not? Uh, depends on the school that you're applying to. Yep. They will tell you, we, are, we want this, FAFSA, FAFSA only, or we want this and that. The FAFSA and the CSS profile. And sometimes they'll say, we want this, that, and another thing, which could be an institutional form from the school itself, depending on the school. Yeah. Sometimes people ask, um, should I just send them the profile? And right. And you say, they don't, <laughs> they're not asking for it. Right. right so. Well, why is it missing? Yeah. Right. Because they don't take it. Right. Right. Exactly. How come you didn't file the profile to the school? You and, got me. Yeah. Because they don't want it. Right. Uh, we, and then, and by the way, this is a good overarching theme. You don't have to give more than, you don't want to give less than, you want to respond in kind. School A is asking for one, two, and three. You give school A yeah. one, two, three. Does that mean you give schools B and C and D and the rest of the alphabet one, two, three? No, only A, because only A asked. Got it? Got it. Good. Yeah. All right. Um, Oversharing. Th Teresa, on, right. We don't want to under or overshare. And that's in life too. All right. CSS, two questions. <laughs> Does he, does do younger siblings academic scholarship count as income? No, but wait, uh, you've got to definitely check with your accountant for that because we have we have time. seen that 
treatment. But that is definitely a CPA type of question. Usually the answer is no. Yes. And usually and, you, discount, and on the right? CSS. You, sorry. Usually it's a discount off the cost of college for tax purposes, not income. But check Correct. With CPA. And normally where this question as asked arises on the CSS profile is specifically any free money grants, et cetera, scholarships that a sibling is getting from a private institution that is specifically asked for on the CSS profile. You would include it. Um, and it, it just gives an idea, you know, is this family otherwise getting some kind of discount? And, it, and it, it could be like a signal to that school. Is one of their other kids wicked smack? <sighs> yeah. Judy, uh, I'm a custodial parent, but don't have a legal separation. I assume I can't use my income. Don't assume. Uh, for now, for right. this last mm, year maybe. only, maybe, maybe, because they are projecting changes beginning in 2023. But as maybe. for this year, Judy, you can say you are separated, even if you don't have a legal separation agreement. And you can then the rule is you would base all of the financial aid forms on your information alone. Okay. Lorraine. If you log in as a parent doing the FAFSA, you will get the option of transferring parent info into a sibling FAFSA. You cannot transfer inf info as a student doing FAFSA. Now they give three options doing the FAFSA paper. Thank you, Lorraine. Um, okay, so there you go. Um, it depends how you're logged in, which right. will determine right, whether or not you can port the parent's information. I guess in that scenario, then I would use the same information to keep it consistent. Um Tashari, would should parents create an account for the CSS or log in as the students and fill that out? Students have a CSS account already when they sign up the SAT in the College Board. This, we only I don't use. Think you we can only use create an account as a parent. Can you? Yes. Oh. Uh, the only time a parent would create their own College Board login is if that is a non-custodial parent who needs to fill out the non-custodial parent profile portion of the CSS profile. Otherwise, the CSS profile is logged into and completed entirely with the student's college board login. Is it now a non-custodial parent profile? It's literally a non-custodial parent's profile portion of the original CSS. Okay. It used to be a separate form entirely, and now it's actually a portion of the main CSS profile that will sort of hang out in the balance, you know, hang out in the abyss until and unless it's completed or unless and until it's completed. Anyway. All right. Next we have Antonio. Let's say we apply early decision and get accepted. Okay. When do we find out the total cost? What if the family can't afford it? How can a family know a cost before selecting an early decision college to help them budget properly? Thanks. Good question. Go ahead. Oh. Or I can, but. I'll do it. Um, can we switch it up? Thank you. You can just add, if anything I get wrong, you can just chime in. So um, the only way you can really estimate, and, and, then, and, and that's only what it is, an estimation of what college is going to cost you, is usually on the college's net the college's website they have a net price calculator which are notoriously inaccurate but still a good start um so that's that's your baseline for figuring out what your actual net price could be when you play a decision and if you get in you have a financial out um, it's written right in there in the early decision agreement it's black and white it's not even in small print 
nobody can force you to pay for college. If you're going to try to appeal that, um, one possible uh, appeal would be, well, I relied on your net, on your net price calculator, I plugged in all this information, um, how come you're coming up with such a different result? You know, of course, the net price calculators, as you can imagine, have all kinds of disclaimers, you know, not to rely on them. But that's still a decent basis for an appeal. There aren't really too many good uh, arguments when you're going early decision. The other one might be that, you know, there's new information that they don't know about that has to do with, you know, a drop in income like Pearl referenced earlier. Back to you, Pearl. Okay. Uh, Sherry, what about the 250 per child COVID checks? Um, again, if you get the check, because this year, this, whenever you're receiving, if you received it in 2021, that is not the income year that we are contending with. If you still have that $250 and it is in the student's name and in a student's bank account, yes, you will report that as a student asset as long as it's there when you file because assets are true as of the day we file. Income is based on 2021. Have you, have you seen these checks in 2020? What I've seen in 2020, the reporting is with unemployment compensation that's right. been received. It's reported and there's an offset okay. to it that zeroes it out in terms of a tax consequence and therefore a financial aid consequence. Uh, Janine, what should you, what should you do about unemployment this year, but with high assets? Um, well, those are two separate things. Your unemployment is your unemployment. So again, you in, know, in Lord, yeah. So, so you have, you, you may have the ability to shelter some of your assets. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you need to be careful. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons to be, to, to tread lightly in this area. Yes. But you don't want to. Thank you. You don't, you don't, <laughs> she's, she's a, she really participates a lot. Um, you don't, you, uh, you want to be very careful about sheltering money that you can't access by sheltering it, especially when things are uncertain in terms of your income. So we're giving a lot of financial aid advice, but for, for common sense financial advice, which we're amateurs at, but um, it's, it's, you know, it's probably, you, you open the door to it. So let's talk about it. Um, you, you really want to look beyond just the financial aid reasons for doing something and make sure that you're not doing something that's going to, are you kicking the camera? No. I warned you about that. No. In our production meeting. And you got mad at me and then, okay. So, so, so I thought, not, I thought, not in front of the kids. I thought there was like a tremor or something. Yeah. Um, so, so be very careful about, um, about keeping yourself liquid. And if anything, I would err on the side of liquidity, even at the expense of, you know, of not uh, lowering your expected family contribution or not, not improving your eligibility. So if I had to weigh the two, I'd rather have less financial aid and more liquidity. So that's, that's sort of how I would, you know, evaluate that. Okay. Tracy, do we need to submit a FAFSA and CSS profile to every college that our child applies to? No. No. But if you want aid from that school, or in some cases, if you want to be considered for merit aid at that school, then you need to submit financial aid forms. But only the ones they require. So they Correct. may not all require both forms. They probably, That's right. probably won't. And ultimately, if you want to preserve your ability to take out loans, for example, you would need to file those forms, but you would not need to do that before you were accepted. 
you can hear that you were accepted first and then file, for example. Um, Terry, I heard people having incorrect data with the auto IRS retrieval tool. Is it better to enter manually? Uh, well, I can share with you, yes, years back, we did have a scenario where the IRS data retool, retrieval tool was faulty and it was improperly pulling in roll, what is to be considered excluded rollover distributions. They were including them and, and artificially inflating the expected family contribution. And that was a big mistake, had to be rectified, et cetera, and so I forth. I think there were actually a couple of days last year where that same, something very similar happened. But, but so far this year, we haven't heard anything, but okay. who knows? So the answer is, by and large, it, it does work properly. And the schools are really going to want to see it in that final expression. Otherwise, you're going to have to jump through a few hoops, like order an IRS tax transcript to prove your income otherwise. Okay. Um, Sherry, can you move fi 529 money from the child going into college next year to children that will be going into future years to shelter these funds? You can do it, but it's not going to matter because they consider all 529 money that you have for all of your children as though, or they penalize it against the, stu the student applicant. So no, it won't make a difference to, to shelter it that way. It's not sheltered. Nope. Gail, how should investment rental property be valued? The tax return shows that it is a loss. Okay. Well, you have a few different things going on here. You have a, the tax consequence of it being an investment property that collects rental income, and therefore there's an income event with that asset you own, okay? There may be an income event that shows either a loss or something to you. Again, that is something that would be on your line one, schedule five, additional supplemental income from a schedule E, or in this case, your schedule E that is investment property. But that is separate and apart from the fact that the equity you have in that investment property that you own personally is as if you had that same money in a plain old savings account. So- Equity is the fair market value, less mortgages. Right. So that's the amount that will be penalized at 5% right. so, of, that, of that amount. So just to give you some real numbers, if, for example, you had equity in in an investment property that you own personally of $100,000, you would lose financial aid eligibility as to that um, in the amount of $5,640. Okay. Tracy, how can we answer this question under student resources CSS profile? How much does our child expect to receive from the following sources to pay for college for the expenses for the 22-23 school year? Okay. Well, low. Lower. Lower. Don't over-volunteer because the school will attribute uh, you with that volunteered amount potentially. So low but reasonable. Low ball it. And again, it's a very subjective question. And if you're feeling um, anxious about the market these days and therefore perhaps, or, or you're feeling vulnerable, but income wise, self-employed business, who knows a lot of lots up in the air. It's a very subjective question. Um, lowball it. All right. Uh, Sherry, does the net, does the net price calculator generally over or under calculate? Hmm. No, no generalizations. It's, it's just take it with a grain of salt. Uh, Okay, the Shari, does the FAFSA or the CSS count money in an order in an older sibling's bank account? 
can a parent give money to an older child as a way of sheltering? Uh, I think it really depends how old that child is. Yeah, you know, so it's a little esoteric of an answer here. I'm, I'm going to give you it anyway that um, if, if you give money to someone, but you know you can get it back, you still have possession of it. You still have constructive possession of it. So you have to look at the gift, uh, you know, the, the gift limits and all sorts of other stuff. People do that, but um, financial aid officers aren't dumb and they know, you know, they know when uh, people are doing things to evade the rules. So that's never one of the strategies that we recommend. People do it, but it's not one of the strategies that we would recommend. Okay. And I'm going to answer this last one just because. And I don't judge. I think this is our last question. All right. It's good. We got to get off Wait, the air because we no, we have long. one more. I'm about to. All right. Last call for questions. How's that? <laughs> I have the one more. And Terry, I'm giving the last call. Do you mind? How do, do you. How do I answer what the non-custodial parent amount will pay for college? Court order has a percentage and then cap at average New York state tuition. Who knows if we'll get that payment anyhow. Okay. So. By the way, if, if, if you don't think you're going to get it. Then you put zero. Yeah. I put zero. Again, it's, it's, that is evidencing a mindset also. Yes. And yes. you are with some of these questions in good faith, of course, signaling certain things yep. to the financial aid committee that's evaluating it. Uh, okay. And final question, last call, Michelle, CSS asks about parent income, parents' other year's income. Is this pre-tax amount or not? No, um, it is post-tax. It's similar to you put your W-2 on parent income lines. You'd add any other, if you have self-employment schedule three income, if you have any dividend and interest income and other schedule uh, one line five supplemental income income you'd add that to other income and then of course if you have contributions to retirement uh you would add that as well for your untaxed income but um they're just estimates again also these are time periods that have not concluded yet so it is somewhat of a, a speculative question but i would just answer uh good faith and again it's a it's a way if you were trying to say hey, my situation now is not great and this is what it was and it's an opportunity to contrast what what you've reported in the 2020 income and currently you're asking about what 2021 and 22 is going to look like. It's an, another opportunity to signal to the committee what the story is. All right. Nice job, Pearl. Thanks. You pulled me along. In your, <laughs> it, it was great. It's very relaxing for me. Good. Um, thank you for joining us. I know you probably had other things to do tonight, so we appreciate the time you took to uh, time out of your schedule to, to do this. And if you have any questions, you want our professional help, you know, beyond the freebie stuff, if you're interested in working with us, just reach out to us. You, ha you have all of our contact information. And please don't keep us a secret. You know, anyone you know who might need uh, help, you can always refer them to our, our website, lockwoodcollegeprep.com, and then they can be on our email list and attend things like this, just like you did. Have a great night, everyone. And thank you, Pearl. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, guys. Good night. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle Group Coaching Membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass, um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid and need-based aid opportunities, 
as well as some other benefits, check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at lockwoodinnercircle.com and use the coupon code PODCAST for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.